0: Well, I am very happy to be here this morning and to be inviting you to open the Bible to Romans chapter 5. So if you do that, that'd be great. turns out that Romans chapter 5 holds some of the central ideas in the entire Bible. It is the ideas in Romans chapter 5 that launched the, the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago this month. Happens to be one of my favorite things to, historical things to look back on. But the, the thing that was at stake in the Protestant Reformation was the, the teaching about justification by faith. How in the world is a guilty sinner made right with God that's the question and the 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 church at the time the catholic church held that the merits of jesus were uh stored up and that you could buy them with an indulgence or you could access them by way of the sacraments and uh, the the merits of Jesus were there for you to do your part and gain them. And in fact, then the the Reformers said, no, you are made right with God by faith alone. There aren't two parts. There isn't God's part and your part. There is God's part alone. By grace alone alone. Through faith alone, and it, it is that one idea, really, that that launched the the Protestant Reformation and really transformed uh, the history. And you're here this morning because of that one idea, and that one idea is captured very succinctly and clearly in Romans chapter five. And so I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter five, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that, but. Actually, before we do, I just want to ask you if you really believe that. Because Pew Research Institute recently, because of this 500th anniversary, recently did a study of American Protestants and American Catholics and found that in fact, over 50% of American Protestants, okay, so, if you were to look at our congregation, it be like you guys over here. Okay. Over 50% believe that salvation is a partnership between God and us. That is, that is very ironic because it's that very idea that was at the center of the Protestant Reformation. In fact, there are more Catholics than Protestants who believe it, but... Not many. And so this morning, it's my goal that you believe it. And not just part way, but all the way. That in fact, God has done what's necessary to make you reconciled to Him. So let's look at Romans 5 then, beginning in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died... We recognize that we have a need that cannot be met by our own effort. It, the, he goes out of his way to establish this. I want you to see that you, you and I are referred to three different ways. Well, actually four ways, but three ways in the same parallel uh, structure. While we were still weak while we were still sinners and while we were enemies. Verse 6 says we were weak. In other words, unable to do what we need to do. While we were still sinners. While we were still ourselves offensive to God. And then he says, while we were enemies of God. See, none of this positions us in a very good light for negotiations with God. None of this enables us to say to God, I'll do this and you can do this. But rather, we find ourselves in a helpless and hopeless situation. That begins with our own spiritual weakness. In fact, he, he makes more of it than that. More than just weak and um, sinners and enemies. He says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would... Dare even to die. And he inserts verse 7 as though it's this parenthetical thought that he just, I don't know, wants to suggest to us. So while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. I have an idea, he says. You know how if um, there was somebody that you really loved? Somebody close to you? Somebody that had already been doing some really good things for you? and that person was really in trouble, you might might give your life for them. Maybe you'll jump in the water to save them if they were drowning. Maybe you'd run into a house to pull them out if it was on fire. You might, for a really good person or for a righteous person, you you might say, I will lay down my life for that person. Wouldn't be easy. But you might dare to do it. And he puts that, I, mean, I said in parenthesis, but he puts it in brackets right here. See, in these, uh, with he sets it off by a dash there. And it's as though, he's saying, while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And somebody might die for a good person or a righteous person, but <clears throat> you're not him. You're not that person. So, you might think that while well, you're that good person or that righteous person, somebody might die for you. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not you. No, you're that weak, ungodly sinner who's an enemy of God. That is your natural condition. And again, that is, um, that is a pretty serious situation at which to begin the conversation. And so while we were still weak, Christ died for us. And even if somebody might die for a good person, that's not what God was doing. Instead, He showed His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we really talk about that very much, I want you to notice that Here, even on this slide, in these two verses, are two ideas that most people can't get their brain around. Most people can get their brain around one or the other, but not both. One is that God shows His love. That He loves us in Christ while we were still sinners. So just just so you get this, that means God doesn't only love Church people. It means that God loves sinners. And he uses the word still sinners. He he loves us so that while we were still sinners. It's like, I I was thinking about this. If I ran across a, a high school buddy of mine, and we started telling stories about, you know, playing football together, or doing something, you know, crazy, you know, we'd probably start the story like this. Well, you remember back then, we were still young. We're not young anymore, but back then we were still young and foolish. And he, he uses it that way to say, back then, we were still sinners. This was before you got cleaned up. This was before you got changed. This was before God did a work in your life. You were still a sinner. And you received God's love. I mean, this is where where John 3.16 comes. For God so loved the world. He is loving those who are sinners and He is demonstrating it by giving His Son. And at the same time, He is justifying those sinners by the blood of Christ so that they can be saved from His wrath. It is not as though God is some New Testament God that is only loving or some Old Testament God that is only full of wrath. God is God. He is more complex than you and I give Him credit for. He is both loving and full of holy wrath. He is both merciful and right. His holiness demands perfection, and it is uncompromised simply because He loves sinners. This is a great corrective, really, for people who would go too far one way or too far the other. I have heard people say that, you know, God hates sinners. God loves sinners. And their doctrine says that only after the blood of Jesus has been applied to them does He love them. He loves them while they're still sinners. And so you can't go too far in, you might say, a Calvinist direction. But you can't go too far in the other or Arminian direction either if you're a theologian. Because here you have God loving us while helpless unable to make the spiritual decision or reform that we need to make. Instead, we find God taking initiative to reconcile us to Himself through the death of His Son. And so we have God presented to us not in simple uh, terms of being loving, not in uh, unsavory terms of being full of wrath, but really in uh, both His love and His wrath. In whatever He comes up with, he He must come up with something in order to love sinners that enables Him to still be holy and right and loving. And His beautiful solution is to demand it, not from those sinners who can't give it, but rather to demand that from His Son. And this is what He shows. God shows His love in that while we still couldn't provide anything, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The demonstration that God loves us is that Christ died for us. I... I mean, I've said this before, but i do I do wrestle at times with uh, my own heart trying to feel loved by God. And I think, what would it look like if I was loved by God? I mean, it would look sunny, okay? It would be warm. I'd have my hammock out, the leaves would be fluttering in the breeze if i if if i i mean, in other words, I want to create, I create this circumstantial idea that if God loves me, everything's going to be perfect. Scripture never gives me that option. But rather, it says, when I am loved by God, I'm loved by God when He gave His Son. That's all the time. That's when I'm in the hammock, but that's also when I'm not in the hammock. That's also when I'm stuck in traffic. That's also when someone's mad at me. That's also when I'm really disappointed or broken hearted or sick. God shows his love for us in that Christ died for us. And the beauty of the gospel is that I need that every day. See, a lot, of, a lot of us, and I think this is why the, the more than 50% believe there's some kind of combo between God's work and my work that gets me saved or gets me to heaven. It's because we somehow categorize the good news or the gospel for uh, people who are just becoming Christians. Some initiation belief that they must believe that Christ died for them in order to be initiated into the faith and be saved. And then, once you're saved, you better get with the program and be a good person and clean your life up and not, you know, sin very badly. And I want to suggest to you that this gospel is for all of us. It's not merely an initiation rite, but rather it's it's something you must believe in order to live as a Christian. He shows his in order to feel loved by God, you have to go back to the cross of Jesus. Which is one of the reasons that I, I think He left for us um, communion. He left for us this way to remember Him that, that highlights the cross. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And he, Jesus wants us to go back To the cross because it's there we recall that God loves us. It's not an accident that if you, if you go back to verse 5 here in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that hope doesn't disappoint us because His love is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I just want that you know, I want that poured outness to be some good feeling. That poured outness of God's love is the Holy Spirit draws me back to the cross where God is actually showing me His love. He shows us His love in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this gets us this gets us to the other side of the chasm. The other side of the equation, you might say. There is the helplessness, the weakness, the ungodliness, the sinnerness, the enemyness of human beings. But the other side of the equation or the other side of the chasm is that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Verse 8 and verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Central central to what it means to be Christian, is to go back to the death of Jesus on behalf of those who had nothing to offer. Namely, you and I. Do you remember back then when we were still without anything to offer? That's essentially what he's saying. We were still sinners. And at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There is on the, on the one hand the reality of the helpless sinner. There is on the other side the reconciliation brought by the cross of Christ. And both are true. There is the love of God and there is um, the wrath of God. And they are brought together in the cross so that when He says... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. We're reconciled by the death of His Son. It is that one event that joins the character of God in His wisdom so that He might be loving and righteous at the same time. Holy and merciful all at one time. So that God might love you without being unjust so, God shows His love for us and they said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then it starts to get better. Okay? I mean, if that's not good enough, I, I, I hope that's good for you, right? That, that you brought nothing to the equation and yet God loved you and He sent His Son who died for you to save you. That's good. And to justify you by His blood, which means to be made right with God because of the blood of Jesus, and the, the the blood here simply just stands in for his death. In verse uh, 10, it talks about the, the very. It has a very same uh, structure of that sentence that tells us that you know if we are reconciled by the death of son, how much more will we be saved uh, through his uh, through his or reconciled through his life? Anyway, it says that here we're justified. By His blood, we're made right because Jesus died for us. And then, it gets better. Much more. Much more. So, if what I said about, you know, this being an initiation is true, where you must believe that Jesus died for you in order to be Christian, if that's true, there's much more. And that much more is even better because what's next then is that you can be confident you are saved from God's wrath because of the death of Jesus. You are saved by Jesus from God's wrath. And I'm just going to go back here because I think we have to go back here all the time. And I've said this two or three of the last few Sundays. But most of us, when we sin, we begin to look over our shoulder wondering whether God is going to get even with us. When bad things happen to us, we begin to worry that those bad things are a result of some other you know, sin that I've done and now God is somehow you know, punishing me for that. I want you to read this very closely. It says, you are saved from the wrath of God. What Jesus has done is to save you from the wrath of God. When you suffer, you are not experiencing the wrath of God. When there is a fire or a hurricane, that is not the wrath of God. It may remind us of the wrath of God, but it is not the wrath of God. Because... He tells us here that those who belong to Jesus are rescued from God's wrath. Which is an ongoing thing. If you're like me and you, you know, sinned yesterday and likely will sin again, you know, later next week. Okay, I'll give you a few days. You'll be on your best behavior, right? But chances are it won't take a full week for most of us. What do we, what do we do then? Well then, we still must be certain. This is, this is what I mean about believing the gospel. This is, this is where we struggle to believe it. Because we think that if next week I do it, I'm gonna have to get my act together. I'm gonna have to work a little harder and be a little better and be on my best behavior so that God won't come back at me. And what Romans 5 tells us, is that you are made right with God by the work of Jesus. Period. You are saved by Him. Not by your reform, but by Him from the wrath of God. And so you can see now where every single day I need to believe this. I don't just need to believe it to get in. I need to believe it every single day. And I need to believe that it's the work of Jesus, not the work of Scott, that somehow saves me. And just if that's not clear, he continues, right? If, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Which you see that it is, it is God taking the initiation, or taking the initiative, To reconcile you to Himself, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. This is the same kind of um, same kind of idea that was expressed in verse one. If you look back in verse one, it says, "Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God." Now. We were justified by faith. We were made right. We were reconciled to God while enemies when Christ died. Then, it gets better. Much more. Much more now that we have been reconciled. We are, we are no longer at war with God. In fact, we are brought into His family seated around His table and have complete access to, the, to the God who saved us. And if that's true, now that we are reconciled, we will be saved by His life. And I think that what He's saying here is that now I can have confidence. I mean, I, I like that it's in the present tense. Now, that I past tense have been reconciled. I have confidence that in the future I will be saved by His life. And so there's all three uh tenses here in this sentence that say based on what happened in the past being reconciled to God, uh, now I can be confident that I will be saved because Jesus is not just dead, but He has risen from the grave and He is alive every day making intercession for me, acting as my priest before God. And... He represents me as my mediator. And that sin that I might do next Thursday, He is already being my mediator between me and God. So that He is applying the grace that comes to me from His cross to my past, my present, and my future sins. So, that as a resurrected Savior, I can, um, because I have a resurrected Savior, I can be confident that I will one day be saved by His life. Because He is alive. Now, <clears throat> this gets us to the point. So, the point... I just want to go back for one second here before I get to the point. Because we get hung up on what it means to to go to heaven. Yeah, I think even that that study that I referred to, it was uh, the the question was posed to people: Do you get to heaven by Jesus' work alone, or by Jesus' work and your work somehow? And so, when we think about heaven or we think about hell, we think about places. We think about a you know, a a nice place and a bad place. A comfortable place and a hot place. Okay, We think about streets of gold and, you know, fire and brimstone. None of that is here, you'll notice. What is here, I think, is more fundamental than that. What is here is... A relationship with God. What is yours by virtue of being made right with God or having peace with God or being reconciled with God is that now you have the hope of enjoying that relationship with God forever. Instead of enjoying, <laughs> enjoying, not enjoying the wrath of God and the absence of God forever. And so here is the difference. Because once you have been made right with God, once by faith you have trusted in the death of Jesus instead of trusting your own self, once you have once you have you know uh, believed that Jesus died for you, and you say, I need that and i become a Christian. Okay, once you have trusted Christ like that, at that moment, you begin this reconciled relationship with God. At that moment, heaven, okay, I'm gonna say that, heaven breaks in to your life. Not by virtue of a place or clouds or harps, but it breaks in in that you have a relationship with God impossible to you as His enemy. So that now, today and tomorrow and the next day, you go through life in a relationship with God that you will fully enjoy one day in His presence. And that's the point of heaven. Not the streets of gold, the clouds, or the heart. Okay, That is also the point of hell. Is that if you do not trust in Christ to save you from the wrath of God, to reconcile you to God, you will be apart from God. And being apart from God will suffer forever. Now, that's what brings us To verse 11, which is the point. More than that, we also rejoice in God. See, this is to get you to a place where you can look to God and your heart can be happy. And we are so, I mean, we are so unready for the happiness of heaven, because right now we're still looking around, thinking, "Oh, golly, my back aches," or, you know, "I I, I don't have enough money," or "I'm you know," some, I have this, these bad relationships, and our happiness is dependent on our circumstances. And what he's saying is, let's let's take a step back, and get the you know, get the center right. And the center is this reconciliation with God so that we can rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. Now, this brings us first full circle with this whole paragraph, right? Because it started off in verse 2 where we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what I was just talking about. We're hoping that one day we'll fully experience God and so we have this hope. But we also rejoice in our suffering. So the, the source of joy is our hope. The source of joy is our suffering because that reminds us that endurance uh, that produces proven character and proven character brings us back around to that ultimate hope and helps us experience God so that now we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this whole paragraph is about rejoicing. Rejoicing regardless of your circumstances, that you have been rescued and made right with God and reconciled and have peace through Jesus Christ. Now, I just have to point out, those of you who are paying attention, will notice this is almost exactly the very language of the mission of New Life Church. We engage those disconnected from God so that they delight in God through Jesus. Which is exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, our goal is not to aim any lower than the fact that all of us really get this deep down in our heart and we're settled in a way that brings us the greatest of all joys. So much so that the, um, that the joys of your favorite, um, football team Winning a game. Nothing. That the joy of sex is nothing. That the joy of uh, a beautiful sunset is nothing compared to the, to the rejoicing we have in God through Lord Jesus Christ. Because, and here it comes full circle again, Having been, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But now that we have been reconciled to God, and we've received this reconciliation, we can rejoice. And so I just want to plead with you, if you're here this morning and you are not sure that you have been reconciled to God, I just want to beg you, don't go another day. Because all of these lesser, lesser joys and lesser happinesses, all they do is point us to the, to the central one here. That whether we're suffering or enjoying something, we might ultimately rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ because we have been reconciled to Him. And So I I hope and I pray that you will trust Him in a way that brings your heart the greatest joy. Will you pray with me?